Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Today's episode is with Dr. Latte Valentin. Dr. Valentin was an atheist and had two near-death experiences that she believed puts her back on the path to her life. Her life plan, the life that was planned by her and her guides before she came into this existence. Dr. Valentin ended up attending medical school at the age of 54 years old and now calls herself the intuitive MD. So if you think it's too late in your life to get back on your chosen path, I can guarantee that it's not. And Dr. Valentin would agree with me. Enjoy the episode. During the next 12 years after my near-death experience, I became more and more clairvoyant, clairaudient, and clairsentient. So I started seeing things. I would see images of things that were going to happen, or I would hear things, clairaudient, or I would feel things in my body, clairsentient. Mm-hmm. And you know, after 12 years of, of seeing things before they happened, I would... Mm-hmm. It becomes it comes to a point when you hear the spirit world and it's been 12 years of receiving messages. It's now part of who you are because you're always listening and they're always there. And so that is how I ended up going to medical school at the age of 54. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor and life coach. Ryan believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Ryan says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Ryan and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. Hey, everybody, this is Brian back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your name before we get started. So I do want to ask you that. So my nickname is Lottie, and my last name is pronounced either Valentine or Valentine. It is actually the Swedish spelling of the name Valentine, which is why it doesn't have an E on the end. Okay, cool. All <laughs> right. Well, with that, I want to introduce uh, Dr. Lottie Valentine. Um, she's had two near-death and out-of-body experiences, which resulted in her becoming clairvoyant, clairaudient, and clairsentient. And if you don't know what that is, we'll define that once we get started. And it actually activated her life path. She was then guided to attend medical school as well and become an author, uh, as well as become an author and an evidential medium. She completed her medical school prerequisites and was accepted into medical school at the age of 54. Uh, she's also the host of her own podcast, which is Dr. Lottie's Science with Soul, to help people create a path to helping to healing their own life physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and to bridge the gap between science and soul. And I know my guests love to hear near-death experiences. I love to hear near-death experiences. So I think this is going to be a really exciting episode. With that, I want to welcome Dr. Lottie Valentine. 
Uh, thank you so much, Brian. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Thanks. I'm really excited about having you here today. We did a little bit of chatting before we got started. I love your personality. And I think this is going to, I know this is going to be a great episode. Um, I'd like for you to maybe start with talking about your near-death experiences and how that kind of set you on your life's path. Sure. Yeah, so I had two near-death experiences. And the interesting part of it is that even though I was born and raised in the country of Sweden, which is in Northern Europe, and in Sweden back then, there was no separation of church and state. And so you were a Lutheran when you were born. And if you did not want to be a Lutheran, you had to tell somebody. (laughs) And when you needed a passport, you actually went to the church to get your passport. And so I was confirmed with all my friends. It was just part of what you did when I was 14. I did not believe in anything that I was taught. I did not believe in life after death. I did not believe that was that there was something called the spirit world or that you actually survived your bodily death. Um, I didn't believe in angels. I didn't believe in anything. I thought you die, it's black, you're gone, and that's it. Hmm. So then I had my near-death experiences, <laughs> which completely changed my view of life and who we are, uh, you know, who, and why we're here on earth. Mm-hmm. So my first near-death experience happened after my third child was born. And that was in uh, 1992. And I hemorrhaged right after giving birth. First of all, I gave birth between a 7.4 and a 7.2 earthquake. So the, the epicenter of that earthquake was out in the desert. So I gave birth, we lived in um, Southern California at the time. So people who are familiar with Disneyland, it's in Anaheim, go all the way east. So the eastern part of Anaheim, that's where the hospital was, even though we lived in Huntington Beach at the time. And when that first earthquake hit, I was contracting about three minutes apart. And that was one of the times in my life that I thought I was going to die. And I bring this up because there is a difference later on with my NDE. But thinking that you're going to die and the the hospital was just rolling back and forth and there were windows from floor to ceiling and those big windows and the ceiling tiles, you know, you just think everything is going to just crumble upon you. And the midwives, the nurses, my husband, everybody was just hanging over me, holding on to the table where I was lying or on the bed. I would have levitated off the bed if they hadn't held me down. It was that bad. So we lost all the power in the hospital and my labor stopped because when you're running from the tiger, if a tiger comes and you're giving birth, you're going to stop giving birth and get yourself to safety and then Mm -hmm. give birth. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. So my life is flashing before my eyes and thinking, oh my gosh, this is it. I'm going to die. I never thought I was going to die this way. And my poor boys, my boys were six and three. My parents were visiting from Sweden to help care for the kids. And then the earthquake stopped. My labor eventually picked back up after 20 to 30 minutes. I gave birth to my daughter. We had a second earthquake, a 7.2, went through the same thing again. And then finally, when they gave me the baby, I just arched backwards and just started screaming, saying, take the baby. I, I, I'm in pain. And then that was the first time I hemorrhaged and it was a mountain of blood clots that came out and they were, you know, massaging my uterus. They put me on Pitocin IV drip and we had no power in the hospital. The whole hospital was running on generators and we had, you know, aftershock after aftershock. So 10 days later, 
And I keep having pain, um, like standing up, like pelvic pain. And it felt like if you put a fist inside your stomach and push downwards, that's what the feeling was. Well, after 10 days of this, I hemorrhaged a really large blood clot. And we went to the ER and they did a, you know examination and they said, oh, nothing much just happening now. It could have been a second lining. And this is 1992. No, no ultrasound, no blood work. And they sent me on my way after a few hours. And then the next day, same thing again, I hemorrhaged again at home. And my husband called the hospital, explained what had happened. And, and I yelled to my husband, I said, it was 10 o'clock at night. I said, this, I'm not going, they're not going to do anything. And it was decided I see a doctor the next morning. So I see the doctor the next morning, same thing, manual examination, nothing much is happening and sent me on my way. No lab work, no ultrasound. Then I hemorrhage again. We go back to the hospital. So now it's Friday evening. We go back to the ER and I tell them, look, this has happened now. You know, this is the third time I'm doing hemorrhaging. And they said, okay, so manual examination. And they look it over. They say, nothing much is happening. We'll keep you for observation. Close the door. I'm lying in this ER by myself with a closed door, no bell, no way to call anyone. And I start bleeding again. So at this point, you know, I'm, I'm pretty young. I'm 34. I look very healthy. You know, we're living in Southern California. So you're, you know, it's June. So I'm tan. I look healthy. So people don't think there's anything wrong, right? So uh, randomly, this nurse opens the door to check on me. And she sees, you know, that all the papers I'm lying on are bloody and, you know, her jaw drops and she's just, you know, the horror on her face. And I hear the call on the loudspeakers, you know, OBGYN, stat to the ER, OBGYN, stat to the ER. And I'm just lying there, you know, just being innocent, thinking, well, you know, finally somebody is going to, you know, figure out something is wrong with me. So he, cause this older doctor comes running, jogging, literally out of breath with a younger doctor, probably the resident physician behind him. And they come in and they do another manual examination. And while they do that examination, another large blood clot comes out and they're, they're, they're big. They're like the size of a baby's head each time. So at that point I had, this was the fifth time now I'm hemorrhaging in three days. So I had very little blood left. And at that point, I tried to sit up and tell the doctor, I'm not feeling too good. And so he knew right away, you know, what had happened and how much blood I must have lost. So he just pushed me down onto the bed in the ER and the room filled with staff. You know, all these people came in. But at this time, I can't keep my eyes open and they keep tipping the table backwards. So my head goes down, my feet goes up, trying to keep as much blood as they can in my brain and my heart. And I have a nurse on my right and a nurse on my left. And the nurse on my right is reading my blood pressure. And the nurse on my left is trying to place an IV. But I'm now going into shock because I've been hemorrhaging for three days. I barely have any blood left. And so when that happens, it's really difficult to get an IV placed, which is why if you go to the ER today, they'll place an IV and they'll just give you saline solution, which is just body water, right? Because now they have access to your vein in case something goes south. Now they can just inject medication. Well, back then they, that wasn't the standard procedure. So now they're having a hard time accessing my, my vein. And as this is happening and I hear all the people, I feel like I'm just falling through space. And all I can think is the first, it's probably my blood pressure dropping first of all, because I just feel like 
I jumped out of an airplane without a parachute and I'm just falling to the ground. And as the nurse on my right quotes the blood pressure, she yells out 50 over 15, hurry. And it's in this panic voice, which, you know, later going through all the PTSD of having these experiences, I would wake up hearing that voice and thinking I was dying. And it was shortly after that, that I realized that I was dying. And that was very different from the feeling of giving birth when I thought I was going to die. My life, my life flashed before my eyes. Oh my gosh, I never thought I was going to die this way. Now I knew I was dying. And I'm thinking, what's taking her so long? The nurse on my left, but I didn't know why she was having such difficulties, right? And I'm lying on this table and I can feel my soul is starting to separate from my body. And I'm holding on. It's like hanging on the, hanging on the cliff in the Grand Canyon with your nails and you're mm. just, just hanging on for your life. And at that point, I knew I was dying, which was very different. And the atheist that I was at the time did not believe in anything. What did I do? I prayed to God to save my life because it was all that I had left. There was no other hope than that. And so I just prayed to God and I say, please let me live. I have three children under the age of six. They need a mother. Mm. And so with that, I got sucked out of my body. So now all of a sudden I'm floating maybe three feet above my body. But when I'm outside my body, the first thing that I that comes to me is, how can I still be me? How can I still be here? How can I be outside my body? And my body is down there. This is not, you know, it's not supposed to be this way because mm -hmm. my belief system was that that can't happen. It would be impossible. So I'm on the other side, but there is, I, there is knowing that there is no time. There is no time on the other side. And I can access past, present, and future information because time does not doesn't exist on the other side. But there's also this unconditional love of just feeling uh, like a peace and, you know, everything is um, just, just peaceful and you feel you're just very loved. But I didn't see anybody in this first NDE. That's all I got was that. And I knew that I belonged to the body and that I was somehow attached. And, you know, people talk about the silver cords and these things. And, um, I just had a knowing that I was attached, but did not see any silver cords or anything. But I, I knew I belonged to that body. That was my home. That's where I live. Just like you live in your house or you live in your car. Imagine living in your car your whole, your whole life. Mm -hmm. And then your car dies, like your body dies. You step outside, you're still there, right? So that's the feeling I had that the soul is really my true me. The body is just a shell where I live when I'm having an earthly experience. So with that, I get sucked back into my body, you know, as they save my life. And then the next morning, right away, uh, so now, of course, I stay in the hospital and all that. And the next morning, my sister-in-law had just passed away about a week earlier. And I know she's at the corner of my ceiling, and I can hear her saying, everything's going to be okay. And at this point, I think I'm going crazy. First, I had an out-of-body experience that I couldn't explain, didn't understand. And now I'm hearing my sister-in-law who has already you know, passed away. Mm. So I'm afraid of sharing the experience. So the nurse comes in. They sent me a, Norwe a Norwegian nurse because they figured she would probably bond with me later <laughs> better than anybody else because I was Swedish. 
And she asked me, she said, did you have any unusual experience, you know, that during the, the day before? And I was petrified of telling her, I was just, no, no, nothing, nothing special. You know, I did not have any experiences because I figured if I shared this, they would lock me up in the mental ward mm -hmm. because that, you know, it had really rocked my own belief system that this can't happen. It must just have been my brain. You know, I'm having some kind of hallucinations. So with that, I got sent home. Then I was, then I developed something called bone marrow suppression. So I was really sick and I had, um, electrical interference, their VCRs wouldn't turn on, the, the watches would stop and all these things that can happen to people that have a near-death experience. It's like we get out of, out of balance, right? So now we have our, the electrical equipment doesn't work well. Mm -hmm. And so now we know from all the research that this is something that's common that happens to people that are revived in some way. So then I have bone marrow suppression. I'm really sick. I have, um, so I'm not making enough platelets, white blood cells, uh, red blood cells. And I'm really sick for the next uh, six years and uh, particularly the first two or three years. So I always have this feeling of my soul never having merged back with my body. So, you know, I joke, is this a merging problem? Like the soul didn't merge back in <laughs> with the body hmm. or was it just because I was so sick and I walked that fine and I was now that I've gone to medical school, I'm just horrified over the fact that, you know, I just, I kept bouncing from doctor to doctor because every time I went to the doctor, they would say, oh, you're way too sick. Why do you have pneumonia again? It's, you know, it's August and people don't get pneumonia in August. And why, you know, how did you get this big bruise? And because I would be, uh, even if I just put my knee on the floor to help my children tie their shoes, I would get a bruise the size of a, like a tennis ball on my knee mm -hmm. because I had no platelets. So low platelets, low white blood cells. So I would get sick all the time. I would get pneumonia, you know, once or twice a year. And that took a good six years for that to really even out and, and made me, you know, live more normal, a no more, more normal life. Mm -hmm. I couldn't stand up um, while I was cooking food for my kids. So I had a stool in the kitchen. I would sit down when I was cooking at the stove, because if I stood still too long, I would literally pass out. So, so it's during this time when I'm constantly feeling my soul is leaving my body and I'm, I'm always holding on to my soul. No, no, no. We're not passing out. We're not leaving. You know, I got to stay here. My kids need me. Hmm. But then the, my second NDE happened uh, in the middle of the night. And, you know, is this a spiritually transformative experience or is it a near death experience? It doesn't really matter because the outcome of the experience is what matters. It is the outcome of how we changed me as a person and what I'm here to do to help other people. Mm -hmm. And so um, in the beginning, I was very hung up on the terminology. Well, cause I'm so scientific. I want proof for everything. And that's just, you know, how I came to the world with my own father being a physician and one of my brothers is a surgeon. So I was raised that very scientific um having a very scientific approach to life where mm -hmm. if you can't prove it, it doesn't exist. So this second near death experience happened in the middle of the night. And I would often wake up and take my head off the pillow because I had so little blood that I would feel faint. My head would pound. My hands and feet would be ice cold. And I would just take my head off the pillow and then try and get more blood in my, my head or pull my legs up. So again, I wake up and I feel, you know, really faint and I take my head off the pillow and you know, the soul is always trying to leave and I'm always feeling like I'm holding on to it. Mm 
But mm. this time it just, it just took off. It was, you know, one second you're in your body and another sp- split second, it's, you know, a thousandth of a second or something. I mean, it's just, you're there and then you're not. It's so fast, the transition that, you know, my little mind here on earth can't really comprehend how, how fast that is and how mm-hmm. it can happen so quickly. And people often ask me, do you live through your head or do you live through your chest? I honestly have no idea because one second I'm inside and the second, you know, next second I'm, I'm out. So who knows what, how you get in and out, or if there's actually some like portal <laughs> that we use to get in and out. So, so the second ND happened in the middle of the night, I take my head off the pillow and I just get sucked out of my body, just like in the ER. But this ND is so different from my first one. And I always joke that they didn't get to have, give me the full effect the first time they were too quick to save my life. So I had to do it again to get myself on my life path hmm. because it's this second experience that really changed my life path and understanding what I'm here to do. So I get sucked out of my body and I tumble through space. There is no tunnel. There's no light. I'm just tumbling through darkness. So imagine that you're flying to the moon in a rocket and they just drop you off. You're just tumbling through space. And then I get to this place that I call the mid station. And it's only because there is an awareness that if you go into a skyscraper and there is a hundred floors and you push the elevator button on floor 50, you know that there are floors above you, but you're, you don't see them because you're on floor 50 and you know, there's floors below you. Mm -hmm. So that was the feeling that I ended up at this level that there were like different levels or different bouncing stations. Are you not supposed to be here then? This is where you end up. So you get sent back because I didn't have a choice. And people sometimes talk about I was given a choice. There was no choice. I was just sent back. And so I get to this, uh, this, uh, what I call the bouncing station. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I hear is the most beautiful music. And it is more beautiful than any music I can make here on earth. It is angelic. And I I see this log cabin floating in space and it's just funny to me what we see. You know, some people see, you know, fields of flowers. I see a log cabin and I look inside the log cabin because I'm thinking the music must be coming from the log cabin and it's empty. So I look to the left. So I'm without my body. I'm just like in spirit, but I'm still rotating. So I look to the left and I see an identical cabin to the one on the right. I look inside, but it's empty. But as I'm now, you know, perplexed over where is the music coming from, there is a growing white light behind me, just as if you're standing in a spotlight and somebody's shining a spotlight behind you. And with that, I rotate around and the light is the brightest, whitest, most beautiful light that you can imagine. Um, but with this light, there is a knowing that you are with divine source. And there is a knowing that you cut, like you come from this light. This is where what we go back to when we die. It is just pure, unconditional love. And we carry, we carry this light within us and we return to this light at death. But in this light, so this light just it envelopes you. It extends to everything. But in the light, there is an outline of angels and the music is coming from the angels. But I didn't believe in angels. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in the afterlife. So this is still 
how can this be? How can I still be me? So then I become aware of two spirit guides. And there's one on my right. And and he says to the other spirit guide, what's she doing here? She can't be here. She has to go back. And I'm like, no, no, no. Wait a second. How can I be here? How can I still be me and be here? And then the spirit guide to my left says, as if they somehow have control over what we get to remember. He says, if I told you, you wouldn't remember, but you will remember this. And then it's like a a movie screen or it's like images just appear. And it is as if I'm standing on the moon looking down on earth because I see earth like in the distance as as if from outer space looking down. Mm -hmm. But then around the earth, there is this diamond shaped glittery fishnet. Now, remember, this is now in 1994. So we didn't have internet yet. Um, and in so this glittery, what I call the fishnet, and I only call it the fishnet because growing up in Sweden, um, I would spend my summers on an island with no electricity or running water. And I finally graduated to be the rower because I had three older brothers to be the rower for my grandmother to lay the fishnets in the ocean to catch fish for the family to eat. So, you know, by the time I'm like seven or eight, I finally get to row the boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when she lifted these nets out of the water in the early morning sun, you have all these water droplets on the fishnet and they sort of shimmer and glitter in the sun. Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm looking at this, which is now when if you Google it, you can Google, you know, grid around the earth. And that's literally what it looked like. But at the time, we didn't have the internet and I had no knowledge of anything like this. So to me, it looked like a fishnet. Mm-hmm. So I see this glittery fishnet around the earth. And the spirit guide tells me everything on earth is connected to each other. But everything on earth is connected up to this grid. And with that, I got sent back. So, you know, one split second later, now I'm back in my body. But that is really what has activated my life path, the knowing First of all, the knowing that our soul, our spirit survives our bodily death. We are still there, you know, and it's just a matter of paying attention. You know, the spirit world sends us messages all the time um, to say that they are fine and they are with us and they're checking in on us. But it took me, you know, a quarter of a century because this is 1992 and 1994. It wasn't until about 2015 that I finally became comfortable talking about it because for so many years, I would think it must just have been a hallucination. It must just have been the brain. And then the more I learned, the more I realized, oh my gosh, all these other people have had these experiences too. I'm not alone. And with that, I think was what really opened me up and say, okay, it's time to to share this because this is for everybody to know and to hear and, you know, help so much. We, you know, we lose people that we love all the time. And and to know that they are okay and they are still there. They're still with us. We just can't see them. They can see us and hear us. But we have a hard time to, you know, know if they're there. And that's because we are having our life and experience in our bodies. We can't have, you know, uh, and uh, like an unlimited access to that life because it would. we have to focus on having our earthly experiences on earth in our body. And the mind is so limited in that capacity. And I often feel it's just, um, it's just so that we can have our experience. It's just so that we can have our soul learn and grow from, from hardships. Right. And that's how it's going through these difficult periods in life that really transforms us. 
it's that being in that darkest spot, just like putting a, a seed in the ground, putting a growing a baby inside the womb, you know, that new life comes from that darkness, just like when we experience hardships and, and, and darkness during our own life, that is when we really grow. So wow. you look like you were going to ask me something. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. No. Yeah. So it's that transformation that happens during those hardships. So, you know, that whole, those first six years were of course very difficult because I was sick and I had two near death experiences. I did not know what to make out of these experiences, but now that it's been, you know, almost 30 years since my first near death experience and all that growth has taken place, I now understand why I had to have that experience. I was, I always wanted to be a healer. I always wanted to be a doctor as long as I can remember because my father was a doctor mm. and I was surrounded by medicine my whole life. But I'm, I married an American that I met in high school, came to the United States. My English, you know, was so difficult to understand uh, or take classes. I was afraid of taking the science classes and I had already started studying at Stockholm's University, but I ended up transferring into Boston University but again, I was afraid of doing the sciences. I figured it would be too difficult with the language barrier. So I majored in um, business and computer science or management information systems and then became a programmer and a systems analyst working for IBM in New York. So, you know, very different start, but the healing was always there. And I often feel like you go down your, your tracks in life and then the spirit world is kind of saying, ah, she's on the wrong track. Let's fix this. <laughs> Well, let's give her, you know, she opted for this, you know, she had five, five options to get on the right path in this life. Well, now she's on this path. So let's have her have a near death experience and shake up her belief system. So she gets on the right path. And it's, you know, during the next 12 years after my near death experience, I became more and more clairvoyant, clairaudient and clairsentient. So I started seeing things. I would see images of things that were going to happen where I would hear things, clairaudient or I would feel things in my body, clairsentient. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after 12 years of, of seeing things before they happened, I would, it, it becomes, it comes to a point when you hear the spirit world and it's been 12 years of receiving messages. It's now part of who you are because you're always listening and they're always there. And so that is how I ended up going to medical school at the age of 54. Cause after 12 years, I called my friend and I said, that's it. You know, I did it. I healed. I'm, I'm like ready to go back to work. And I was looking online for anything that had to do with healing. I, I knew having gone through these hardships myself, I needed to work as a healer in, in some way. And I found this degree and it said naturopathic medical school. And then a medical school. I can't go to med school. I'm in my forties. This is crazy. You know, I, there's no guarantee I would even be accepted. I'm older and I have to do all my prereqs, you know, chemistry, biology, organic chemistry, physics, and math. And, you know, I was a business undergrad. I had, I had nothing in science mm -hmm. and I turned off the computer and I said, okay, that's it. I'm not, I'm going to look again tomorrow. That's got to be something else. And as I'm walking from the living room to the kitchen, the spirit guide drops in on me. And at that time I couldn't see the spirit guides, but I would just hear them in the beginning or like feel their presence. And the spirit guide told me I had to go to medical school. I had to be a doctor. 
I had to combine East and West and I had to bring messages and healing to the people. I'm like, I don't even understand what you're saying, messages and healing. And you're to write two books. No, wait, three. And I'm like, write a book? How am I supposed to, what am I supposed to write about? So with that, within a week, I was enrolled in the prereq classes and I did not even have, I couldn't even take the freshman biology because I had to take advanced high school biology first because I had no science classes. So I literally started from advanced placement, high school biology and chemistry and worked my way up to do the prereqs and then applied to medical school and was accepted at the age of 54 after my kids had grown up and went to med school, graduated in 2016. And as soon as I graduated, so this is interesting because then as soon as I graduated, I went, um, I didn't even have my license yet. I took my board exam in August and uh, then now it was September. So I don't get my results from the boards until October because it's a national exam. Mm -hmm. So I meet this woman who doesn't know anything about me. And she said, I'm, I'm a medium and you're, I have your mother with me. Are you open to receive messages? And even though I had gone to medical school based on messages from my own spirit guides, I was still thinking, no, she, there's no way, there's no way she can know anything about me. I have, you know, I grew up in Europe. My life is so different. She wouldn't even be able to guess it. So of course it is very clear that it's my mother. And she tells me things about fishing and being on the Island. I mean, you can't make this up. Right. So with that, she says, you have, your mother is saying you have to go to Arthur Findlay college and study mediumship. And I said, I can't do that. I just graduated. I, I, I got to do my residency. I'm, I got to earn money. I got student loans. And I, you know, I don't even know if I passed my boards yet. I don't even get my results until October. And she said three times, it just kept saying, you know, you have to go. And she also said, your mother tells me you are to write two books. No, wait, three. I was like, wow, it's the same message wow. <laughs> that I got. Mm -hmm. So it was very apparent. Nobody knew about these things. So six months later, I am at Arthur Finley College in England uh, studying mediumship. And it wasn't until I got there that I started to understand, you know, they call it a message. You give a message from the spirit world and to the person, right? So you're doing a reading and you bring messages of healing to the people. So now, you know, this is how many years later? All right. So this, the, the message that I received in my living room was in 2004. Now it's 2017. So that's how many years later. It took me to understand what do you, what do they mean by messages? What is that? We'll get back to grief to growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book Grief to Growth is a best-selling, easy-to-read book that might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.grieftogrowth.com, www.grief, the number two, growth.com, or text growth, growth, to 31996. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash grief to growth, www.patreon.com slash G-R-I-E-F, the number two, G-R-O-W-T-H, to make a financial contribution. And now, back to Grief to Growth. 
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. And then I had a reading with my teacher. So now I've been there, you know, several times, but I had a reading with my teacher and my teacher said, I have your mother with me. And she's telling me that you're writing a book. All I had was an outline of the chapters at this point. And she says, your, my, your mother tells me she's right. You're writing a book. And she says, you are to write two books. No, wait, three. So it's always that same message. So at this point, I said, okay, I've gotten, I've gotten the message and I've gotten the message from two other people. I better go home and write my book. So then I wrote my book, which is this one. Mm-hmm. And it's called Med School After Menopause, The Journey on My Soul. But it's really a book about transformation and healing and spirituality. And so I... I describe a lot of the things that happened to me when I became clairvoyant in order to help other people bring out that intuitive abilities that we all have. And um, the book won an award uh, like six months ago from Living Now Book Awards, and it won first place in spiritual leadership category. So I'm really excited that it won an award as well. But I'm hoping this book will help other people um, Bring, in, bring out their own intuitive abilities, but also to help with anything such as grief, because there is proof of the afterlife and that we are such uh, divine spiritual creatures. But many of us, just like myself, I mean, we walk around in our little body shell thinking that this is it. But the world is so much greater and so much bigger than we can see when we are just inside our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's that's an incredible um, journey that you've been on. One of the things I love about your experience, and I love all in your experiences, they're all, there's, it's interesting how different they are, but how similar they are. But a lot of times people say, well, you're, it's just what you expect. It's an expectation. So if you expect that you're going to see this, you're going to see, see this, right? But you were a materialist, I understand, the first yeah. time you had one, right? Yes. Yes. So there was no expectations at all for me because I didn't believe in any of it. And it took me 12 years to even, you know, believe in the clairvoyant and clairaudient experiences that I was uh, having. And I can tell one story, which is um, really interesting because I woke up one morning. So this is uh, probably around like 2008 or so. So is it in these first 12 years and I'm becoming more and more clair, clairvoyant and clairaudient. And I woke up one morning and I saw three images in, in like almost like three, uh, like a slideshow. So image one, I see we had a van at the time and I was driving two of my kids to San Francisco each day because we lived in East Bay, San Francisco at the time. And these two kids were at the San Francisco Ballet School and they trained six days a week. So, you know, every day I would have to drive them in. Uh, across the Bay Bridge and into the city. Mm -hmm. So I wake up and I see this big black scratch on the passenger side on the van sliding door where the kids get in and out. And 
Then the second image, I see my daughter in the back seat. I see my middle son in the front seat. And then the third image, I see myself leaving a note on the windshield of a black sedan car. And I tell my two kids, this is what I saw. Because at this point, you know, they're kind of in tune with what's going on. So I tell them about what I had seen. And we figure out that it's got to be this one intersection. After we cross the Bay Bridge, we get off the highway, we go down to the light, and then we turn left onto the surface streets. Because most of the streets are one-way streets in San Francisco. And even in the suburbs where we lived, there were, you know, two or three lane streets, you know, going to and from the highway. Mm-hmm. So we figure out that's got to be the intersection. So you know, every day for the next week, my kids' noses are pressed up against the window. Mom, the coast is clear. You can go because we're thinking this is it. This is the intersection. So 10 days, about 10 days have gone by now. And we're in our bookstore uh, in a town called Walnut Creek, uh, East Bay, San Francisco. And I'm get, trying to get out of the bookstore, but there's a lot of cars. There's a big UPS truck offloading all these books. And people trying to get into the parking lot. I'm trying to get out to this narrow little street. And as I'm turning the corner on turning right onto the street, the right side of my car scrapes the car that is parked. Mm. So, and what's the color of that car? It's a black sedan. (laughs) So at this point, I know exactly, you know, what had happened. So I get out of my car. I look at the scratch. Of course, it's this black scratch going across the sliding door. Looks exactly like the image. And here I am leaving my phone number and information on the windshield of the black sedan car. So nobody was hurt. And, you know, but going through, you know, the scenarios, I couldn't understand. And I kept saying, why is it that I don't see any people? Why would I leave a note on the windshield if there, if it was an accident? There was no, I didn't see police or ambulance. I just saw the windshield of this black sedan car. Mm-hmm. But that was why, because the car was parked. So these types of things, you know, happened and still, you know, still happen. And but now the spirit world is just kind of part of my of my life. And I always work with the spirit world uh, when I work with people because I work as I split my time. So I work as a physician some days a week, and then I work spiritually with people. So I do either uh, mediumship readings, psychic readings, and people get to a crossroad in their life, or they want to connect with a loved one in the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Or I work, of course, um, this is what my teachers told me at Arthur Finley College, that you probably, it's going to be something medical that gets involved because you have this degree now. Mm-hmm. But so what has happened is that I work a lot with people as a medical intuitive as well, because I work, you know, as, as a medical medium and a medical intuitive, because I often work with the spirit world and the spirit world with tell me things, either I'll hear it or they'll show me an image. And so that way, many times people have been around the block and seen doctors for 15 years. They don't know what's wrong. They keep saying, you know, I did an MRI, I did a CT scan. We ran the lab work, but they're telling me nothing's wrong. Um, but of course, there's something wrong. You're not sick for 15 years and nothing's wrong. It's just that our tests and our equipment is not good enough to see it. But it is interesting because many times it will be some uh, something that I'm familiar with, because also that's why people are guided to see you. Because, you know, I don't even know any of my colleagues and there's like 100 students in my class that know the weird things I know about certain things, because it's just how my life has, these things have been presented to me. And all I can say, it's, it's there for a reason. And it's for me to help other people either through 
mediumship, they'll, you know, the spirit world will help me find what's wrong with the person. And sometimes it also goes into ancestral healing. So I studied what's called ancestral healing or family constellation therapy, which is a form of counseling methods. Now, going through medical school, we, of course, learn, uh, you know, do a lot of counseling classes because we have to be able to, uh, you know, diagnose somebody with a mental condition or send them along to a psychiatrist for further evaluation, right? So we do get a lot of that, but we don't get the spiritual components of it or, you know, the parts that we can't really explain because medical school is very scientific. And if they can't prove it and there's no research behind it, that we're not going to learn about it. So um, working as a medium, it started out by me um, seeing uh, patterns repeating within families that, you know, the there is abuse in the family or the father was an alcoholic and it repeats and the person marries the same person, the father, you know, that the father was and the pattern sort of repeats. And so that's how I got um, interested in studying the ancestral uh, ancestral counseling. So I studied with uh, Mark Willin, who wrote the book, um, It Didn't Start With You. Mm. And I think he's coming out with another book uh, in the fall. And so I'm um, in this class. Um, online with, you know, doctors and counselors from all over the world. So it was absolutely fascinating because you didn't know anything about these people and we had to practice the tools that we learned. But now it has become a form of, um, for me, it's like a spiritual healing. So when I see people on the medical intuitive side and all of a sudden the spirit will show me images and I say, then I'll say, is your, is this your childhood experience? Your parents were like this, or they tell me about their parents and the spirit world comes in. It is this um, merging of, of my not medical knowledge and the training that I have merged with working with the spirit world and also working, um, you know, shamanically, you know, have trained with shamans as well. Mm -hmm. And you, sometimes you can do a journey to find more because you, the information, you know, you, you hold that information, your body knows what's wrong many times, but we as physicians can't pinpoint it because the tests that we run can't tell us, you know, your lab work came back and it's normal, but you're still sick. You're still having these terrible experiences and you're not, you know, feeling good, mm -hmm. but um, sometimes, you know, working that way, either it becomes an ancestral uh, healing that takes place, or sometimes it's just information that I hold that the person needs because I had some crazy patient, you know, back or some family member, or I just know of what it is that they have and then say, you know what, this is the thing, what you have, what I think you have is this, and it doesn't show up on MRIs. That's why they can't see it, you know, or a CT scans or whatever. So it's become this very fascinating integration of my medical degree my mediumship training, psychic intuitive abilities and shamanism mm -hmm. that has all sort of been integrated. And so I love to work with people that way because I can help people. I work with people all over the world, you know, because now we're working uh, spiritually and you're not seeing me as a physician. So, yeah. Awesome. I do want to ask you a question about the difference between a medical medium and a medical intuitive. You know, it just, um, it just depends on how you define it. So mm -hmm. a medical intuitive to me would be somebody who has intuition or psychic abilities and can tune into mm -hmm. you, you, know, you tune into your body. Um, there are times, you know, I usually meditate before I work with somebody and uh, sometimes I'll see things in their body 
for the spirit world, you know, also is showing me. So how much is my, is it my intuition and how much is coming from the spirit world versus, versus a medium, medical medium, right? A medium is somebody who communicates with the spirit world. But if I say I'm just a medical medium, I would just be working with the spirit world, but I work intuitively, psychically, as Mm -hmm. well as mediumistically. So I kind of, because I use all of, all of those um, aspects in order to help that person, you know, it's like saying um, a psychic, you know, if you're a psychic or if you're a medium, if you're a medium, you're always also a psychic, but if you're psychic, you're, you're a psychic, you're, you know, not necessarily a medium, right? right? So that's the, the difference of, of looking at it, but it's kind of similar to me, a medical intuitive, yeah, it's a, it's language. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that, like, what, yeah. You said, what you meant said makes sense. I see it as yeah. medical intuitive. You're connecting to that person that mm-hmm. you're that you're um, that you're figuring out what's wrong with them, and the medical medium is also connecting to the other side. So you could be one yeah. or the other, or you could be both. So yeah, yeah I think you, I think that's a very good answer. I'm curious because you do you're you're a medical doctor now, so you mm-hmm. do Western medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you bring energy healing in also? Do you or, or is that something separate? Um, right. So working as a physician, you can, you know, do craniosacral therapy. So I'm trained in craniosacral therapy. And with that, of course, there is energy because you're working with your, where your hands are on the body. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you could technically say that you're doing energy healing. And when I work with people spiritually uh, as a medical intuitive or ancestral healer, many times people sign up for medical intuitive and it ends up in ancestral healing. Right. So it, it really doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you sign up for unless you know specifically, I think this is, you know, ancestral healing. So I want that kind of session. Right. But, um, you know, when you're working, when I work with people, we if, if it's an ancestral healing, we do a healing at the end of the session for about 10, 15 minutes okay. where I bring in spirit guides. I bring in, you know, and beings of the light and anybody that can help with this healing. And, and, and I find that that is very healing for the people. I mean, I, I feel things, I see things. And many times I've had clients also tell me, you know, that they saw things or they felt things. And mm-hmm. I said, all right, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? And we compare notes and it's amazing how many times we see the same thing. You know, they see the same spirit guide. I said, what did it, what did it look like? It looked like this. And that, that's exactly what I saw. And so it's fascinating that we're somehow tuning into the same messages, right? Mm-hmm. But we can do that when, when you work as a medium, that we do something called sometimes we, we link up together. So we have so when you train at Arthur Finley College, they'll say, uh, okay, uh, Lottie and Brian, you guys go next. And we'll go up and stand in front of everybody. And they'll say, okay, um, decide which one of you is going to start. And they'll say, okay, Brian, you start. You bring in the spirit and you say, okay, I have um, I have a father figure with me. And this father worked, uh, uh, you know, he took the train to the city. He carries a briefcase and he worked with a lot with papers. And then I'll tune in and I'll say, okay, he's telling me that they're, um, they lived in this countryside, you know, but he took the train in and uh, he has a very warm and loving kind of personality. And um, there were several children in the household and he often read stories to the children at night. Then now it's your turn. You get the next next message. And so we're linking up to the same spirit and we both are communicating with the same spirit at the same time. And so, and many times when you get the message, I'll still hear your message. 
I get that message and I'm just waiting for you to stop talking so I can continue. Right. Mm-hmm. And you go back and forth. And it's it's absolutely fascinating because not only and then, of course, you know, we have to place that spirit with somebody in the group. Right. Somebody right. that's in the classroom, like another 12 people or so. Usually it's 100 people, but there is, uh, you know, like six classes. We all have the groups are, you know, then we're from 12 to 15 people or so uh, with each teacher. And then we have to say, you know, who, you know, who recognizes this? Okay. And then, of course, there's somebody saying, yeah, that's my dad. Right. And so it's just fascinating because we have that ability and we all have that ability. We, we are spiritual, intuitive creatures that, that have this ability. Now, of course, everybody's not going to work as a medium or a psychic, but we all have the ability. We can all learn to recognize the signs. And that's what I'm trying to do with my book. Uh, is to help bring that out in people. You know, how did I, how did I learn how to do this? You know, my scientific background took a long time. That brings up a really important point, I think, because Mm -hmm. um, I I work with a lot of mediums and intuitives and I work, I've known some of the best ones. They're just incredible. And they, they say everybody can do this, but some people seem to be born with this ability that, Mm -hmm where they see spirit. And, and I think all of us are born with the ability, but then for most of us, it kind of gets, it goes dormant. Um, and then a lot of times with NDE, that seems to awaken this ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what about the average person that says, oh, I can't do that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe that NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, I mean, that would have been me, right? That would have been me before my NDEs. Mm-hmm. Now, I know from my teachers at Arthur Finley College, they say you were a born medium. And, and I said, and I, of course, will say, no, I wasn't. <laughs> Because prove it to me. How could you say I was a born medium? And they said, because I see it. Remember, start thinking back. You know, you saw colors around people. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I remember. Yes, I remember mm-hmm. like going behind my dad, going down the path. And I would see colors around him. And I would see this. And I saw energy fields around the plants. And, you know, all this would come back to me. But it took my teachers, Arthur in the college, to tell me that I did have it. And I suppressed it. Right. Because... I would, I remember I talk about it in my book too, how I saw the energy field around the the flowers on the kitchen table. And I told my best friend and she says, no, there isn't. And I just felt really stupid and okay, there must not be (laughs) right. Nobody else can see it. So you, you, you learn to suppress it very Mm -hmm. early on because, you know, you, you just tell your friend and they can't see it. It must you don't want to be the, the, the stupid kid who, you know, makes things up. So you just let go of it. So I think that's a lot of our society in the Western world. It's, it's just how we are raised. If you were raised in a society that acknowledged that and said, oh, you know, you can see the, the energy, this, you know, this child has 
you know, is going to go and train with a medicine woman or medicine man. Mm -hmm. But we're not living in that society. We just say it can't be. We can't prove it. So it doesn't exist. Yeah. And that that brings me to you talk about energy field field around things. I've heard a lot of people have NDEs and they'll talk about like uh, I saw colors I couldn't see here. I see energy fields around plants and flowers, all the things that you're talking about. My theory is that kind of that's here. We just can't see it because we're looking so much with our physical eyes. What do you think about that? Yes, absolutely. It's it's all available to us. And there is energy fields around all the plants and all the we know now that plants have this um, amazing communication system, right? They send out warnings. If there's a, a fire in the woods, the trees communicate with each other. And, um, you know, everything you synchronize and train with everything. I mean, your heart, your magnetic field around yourself. I mean, that's how we measure EKGs and activity in the brain, right? We have equipment to measure it, mm -hmm. but we resonate and entrain with other humans, with other animals, and even things that doesn't have a heart. We resonate and entrain with plants, with trees. You know, when people say, oh, that person has such a green thumb. Yeah, they do because they talk to their plants. Yeah. <laughs> they sort of treat their plants as their babies. They, you know, they water them. Oh, you poor little plant. Let me fix these dry leaf. Let me get that off you. And, and the plants flourish. They're being nourished, right? But everything, we are interconnected to everything on earth, right? That's what they told me too. It's everything is interconnected, but we truly are because we resonate and train with everything that exists. You know, you see, uh, you know, things on a video on YouTube, Facebook, uh, people that go back into the jungle and, and meet the lion they trained, you know, 30 years ago, that lion still recognizes them. Mm -hmm. They still treat them gently and how intelligent animals are. And they can, you know, I believe they also see and feel things that we can't see and feel. But, you know, it's just, we are all interconnected. It all rubs off. So the way I look at it, for each person I can heal, we heal the world. Because once I work with somebody and I can create healing for them in the physical healing, spiritual healing, energy healing, they there is a shift that takes place their own um, epigenetics the way they express their own dna and their physiological reactions are going to change because something changed within them and so you know it's when you have those hardships and you create healing around that you now sort of become a light to other people you you resonate that healing and that love unconditional love and acceptance to other people well imagine if we healed everybody in the world we wouldn't have all these wars and, and and fights across the globe right we would have a more peaceful existence where you know but for each person we heal we create healing for the world because now the electromagnetic field around this person is different you know it's like when you walk into a room yeah. And the person is mad. Everybody gets, you know, it rubs off. Now everybody gets mad. But if the person who walks into the room is is loving and just loves everyone and gives everyone a hug, even if the people were mad, they're probably probably going to be in a better mood, right? Because that person is now giving off love, right? But so for each person we heal, that changes with each person. So I, I wanted to ask you this question because this comes up a lot too when I talk to people that were. To people about people who have NDEs, um, you mentioned it. I think you were not given a chance or choice about coming back. Now, some people say that they were given a choice. Some people say they're not given a choice. 
if you had been given a choice, do you think you would have chosen to come back? Yes, because I, I, had, I was a mother. I had three children under the age of six, and it was devastating to me to think that my kids were going to grow up without a mother. And it's, um, I think it's the, for me, it was being the, the mother that sort of anchored me uh, to the earth side. Mm-hmm. You know, I had such strong mother instincts to, you know, be the mama bear for my, for my kids and nobody's going to touch my mom, you know, my cubs. Right. <laughs> and right. that instinct was so strong. Uh, you know, it, just going through being sick for so many years and, uh, you know, it's always been, uh, you know, my kids. And I think that's on purpose. That's my incarnation. That is the ticket I chose. What's going to keep me on the earth side after having this wonderful experience in, in the, uh, on the other side, right? Cause that unconditional love and light, who wouldn't want to be in that all the time, right? And here we are struggling with our day-to-day life and, you know, get, getting things done and just dealing with everything that we're dealing with in the world and living through the pandemic. And you know, there's always problems, right, that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Being on the other side sounds so nice, but, right? but I think for different people, you have different reasons. And I think in the beginning, it was that was my anchor to bring me back with my children. Yeah, I think that's really, uh, I, I, I love that question because people answer it differently. I've heard I've heard of mothers even with the young children who said, well, I hurt, I found that it was going to be okay mm-hmm. and I was still ready to go, but you know, I, yeah. I, but I was sent back. So I, I guess it's an individual mm-hmm. thing, but mm-hmm. uh, I, the, the thing I take away from it is it's so great being there. It's such a, it's such a draw as from what it, it sounds like to me. Yeah, um, absolutely nothing to fear. You know, people who are afraid of dying. Um, it is a continuation of your life just without your body. Yeah. So um, you mentioned also during your experience that one of your guides said to you, I could tell you this, but you would remember it. So do you believe the things you saw things there that you didn't weren't able to bring back? I always wonder if I saw other things, but I can't, you wouldn't access know, right? yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. access it. All I get is, you know, that, which is a very, you know, vivid and like it happened yesterday, but that's how it is, you know, with people who have these experiences, but I've heard other people talk about um, something I've heard and other NDE stories said that they had some similar experience where they were told, you know, not to, they couldn't remember. Yeah, I've, I've heard right. people get very specific things mm-hmm. like there was this, and then I was told you're not going to remember this part, and then there was this. So, right. but I think there's, uh, and you, you touched on this earlier, there's only so much we can handle being here about knowing about the other side. It, it would just interfere with the things that we have to do while we're here. Absolutely. We're supposed to have an experience, and if we knew too much, we wouldn't have an experience. It's meant to be, in, you know, a little bit like this. Yeah. And you you touched upon this too, but I want to go into a little bit deeper because again, a lot of times people are like, okay, if everything is so great over there, if everything is so wonderful, then why do I have to go through the, the hell of living here? Right. That is, you know, the ticket we incarnated for. So I believe we come, we have many, many lives and we, you know, keep reincarnating and coming back. And you know, what tickets did you choose this time? You know, I have ticket, you know, 528 this time. And on my ticket, it says, I'm going to have these experiences and let my soul grow in these different ways. 
And then, you know, we have all these different, because we have free will, right? So we have all these, like I say, like uh, different train tracks, we go down different tracks. And so you're on track two, um, that's the wrong track though. You need to be on track three, but on track three by now. So we're going to have a little near-death experience. You, That's, you know, the track that took you to the near-death experience, but you could have avoided it if you took track three from the beginning. So if I had majored in medicine and become a doctor when I was young, instead of business and management information systems, becoming a programmer, had I gone down that track from the beginning, would I still have had my near-death experience? I don't know, because mm. to me, the meaning of my life, right? I always knew I was a healer. I always knew that's who I was, you know, play doctor all the time as a child. And knowing that, but then not following that, saying, oh, it's not practical. The mind comes in your way and takes you down the different path. This is more, you know, this is safer. I can do this. I'll still have good income, right? But it's not your heart. It's not who you are. It's not your soul's purpose. You know, my soul's purpose wasn't to be a programmer and a systems analyst. It was to help other people heal mm -hmm. in all these different ways. And I had it with me from the beginning, right? So I, I incarnated seeing auras. I incarnated seeing energy fields. And, you know, being this spiritual kid, which was then suppressed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the question is, you know, what, what is our path? What's that ticket we hold on to, um, which becomes the meaning of life in the end? Yeah, right? well, yeah, it, that's, yeah, that's, that's a great point, too, because um, I heard someone who had a, a, a terrible near-death experience was crushed under a car and had terrible spinal injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And she said she thought it was to get her back on the path. And she's like, if I'd been on the path, because I think she was an atheist before also, if I'd been on the path, maybe I wouldn't have had to have that experience. But she also said, I wouldn't trade the experience for anything because of the knowledge that came out of it. So would you agree with that? That would you, everything you went through? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my life would have been very different because it is, it is from the hardships and that you become the person you are. and. You know, going through having been sick myself, I have a lot of empathy for my patients that are sick. Mm -hmm. I've been in that boat. I know what it's like. Uh, you get very isolated from other people because you can't participate in, in the activities that you used to participate in. And so you became very isolated and you're tired. Uh, life seems very dark <laughs> and dull, right? Because you don't have that the energy that you used to have either. But I think it's the experience that I had is what made me who I am today. Yeah. I, I, I think it takes a certain amount of suffering to develop empathy. I think you, yeah. you know, to, it doesn't have to be the exact same thing, but when someone comes in and says, I'm mm -hmm. feeling this, you can relate to it because you've been through something similar and, and we have to go through that. I think to grow that, that characteristic of our, of our soul. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, you know, life isn't, if we sat on the beach in Hawaii drinking pina coladas every day, how much would our soul grow? <laughs> right, right. Probably that's, not very much. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> actually a conversation I just had with my wife like yesterday, you know, it's like, because we all think we want that ideal life. We all think we want to be able to to live that life with no pain and no suffering. But if you, th if you think about it, you take it out to the extreme, how much, how much would we grow? What kind of people would we be? Yeah, it's the growth, you know, it's the hardships that yeah. makes us grow. Yeah. So how, how, Lottie, how can people reach out to you? How can people work with you? I know you, you touched on it briefly. You're a medical medium, medical intuitive. You do uh, readings. Uh, so tell me the various things you do and how people can reach you. 
Yeah. So I have two websites and they're linked together. One is Dr. Lottie, D-R-L-O-T-T-E.com. And on that, I have more about my medical practice, but also uh, other information about interviews that I've done and a link. If you want to, you know, if you want to work with Dr. Lottie spiritually, click here Mm -hmm. and it takes you to my other website, which is divinespiritualessence.com. And on that website, you can book, you know, sessions to work with me individually for medical intuitive, uh, ancestral healing, or what I call a wholehearted session, because it's um, working with the spirit world, bringing in a loved one or um, helping people find their path. You know, they've come to a crossroad in their life. I don't know if I should do this or should do that. And to get that outside psychic intuitive, you know, I'll tune in and say, oh, you know, to me, you're this person. This is what I see you doing. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking about that, but I was afraid of going down that route. So that's a wholehearted session. So those are basically the three different uh, spiritual ways that you can work with me. Or also you can work um, as a mentor. Sometimes people uh, ha- are starting to have uh, spiritual experiences themselves. You know, I saw my mother came in. I swear it was my mom. I heard this. I did that, you know, mm-hmm. and then just having a session to help them bring that out more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how should I do? And do you think this could have been that I was communicating with my mom, right? Or whatever they have going on. So that's called a mentorship, uh, a mentorship session. And sometimes I teach classes as well. So I have a newsletter on my Divine Spiritual Essence website. So when I do teach classes and upcoming things, um, it will go out in that newsletter. Okay. And also my podcast um, introduction of my guests goes out in that as well. Yeah. And let's, let's talk about your pot. You've got so much going on. You must be really busy. So tell, let's talk about your podcast too. Yeah. So my podcast is called uh, Dr. Lottie science with soul. Mm-hmm. And I bring a lot of um, people that can help other people heal, you know, spiritually, energetically, or physically. So I interview physicians that work um that do things that are, you know, different. They're not the the typical person. So a physical therapist or a functional neurologist um, or a homeopath and to help people, you know, introducing these other modalities of medicine that sometimes can be very helpful for people, but it's very difficult to maneuver, to uh, maneuver the medical system that we have created. And sometimes people don't know how to find the right person. So I interview different kinds of uh, physicians that way. Um, also interview, you know, shamans, um, mediums, um, my own teachers from Arthur Finley College, uh, and anybody else who can help people um, on their spiritual uh, path or energy, you know, helping people heal physically, emotionally, and spiritually, basically. Awesome. So people from all different walks of life. Yeah, I love the way that you you have integrated um, science with the spiritual. I, I, I'm, I, that's something that I think is so important. We we they've become two separate silos in our society, and the spiritual gets ignored or kind of poo pooed by the scientific community. But the fact is, I think they're they're part of the same continuum. They're just different ways of studying the same the same phenomenon. So I, I love what you're doing with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that's missing in in Western medicine. Yeah, we don't, you know, we because it is how our medical system is set up. It's set up to 
treat medically, which is why when I work as a physician, I got to, I got to put a code on everything. I got to code what you have. I got to prove it with labs Mm -hmm. or imaging and say, okay, this is what, this is the plan right now you have, you know, this condition. Um, but you know, it's not a specific, it'll be just kind of like the umbrella code for, for something you have a thyroid issue, but not what the thyroid issue is, where you have a digestive problem, but I'm not saying if you have colitis or Crohn's disease or something else, right? So it's just an umbrella code. And then you do the labs and you do the imaging and then you code it. And this is what you have. Now, when you have this condition as a, as a physician, what are you supposed to do? Okay. Now I have to treat it with either a pharmaceutical or now I'm a naturopath. So I can treat it also with botanical medicine or homeopathy, acupuncture, as well as pharmaceutical. So it's just whatever works best for that person. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes people have um, allergies to certain things. Some some people could be sensitive to herbs and do great with a pharmaceutical. And the next person does terribly with a pharmaceutical and gets all the side effects and does wonderfully with herbal supplements. Right. And that is the, the difference of, you know, trying to find the right, the right uh, medicine for each person. But the spiritual component of healing is huge, but we've lost that because of the time constraint that regular Western medical physicians have, they have very little time. I'm, I'm have my own practice. So I spend a half hour with my patients on a follow-up and an hour and 15 with their first initial encounter, because I want to know everything about you. Where did you live? What were you exposed to as a child? Did you live on a farm? How do you have environmental toxins? Uh, What was your home life? Like, did you have, did you grow up in abusive household? Right. So all these different things matter. Versus when you go to the regular doctor, I have a headache. Okay, here's a migraine medication. Next. Right. <laughs> so, you well, know, it's very different. What you, you know? just said blew me away when you said you spend that much time with the patient on an initial visit because that's that just doesn't happen anymore. Um, and, yeah. I, and I interviewed someone just yesterday that hasn't come out on the, on the podcast yet who is an a, a energy healer. And she was talking about, you know, a lot of our disease, if not, I think she might say all of our disease is caused, it starts with our spirit. You know, so Western medicine, we're treating the symptom, but we're not treating, we're not, and, and I think you need both, right? It's not one or the other. Right. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I think it's dangerous. People are on um, such a spiritual kick and they say, you know, I often get patients because they know I'm spiritual. I can heal this myself. I don't want any medicine. Right. Mm-hmm. But yes. there are times when the pharmaceutical is the correct medication for that condition, but Sometimes people get so stuck in their ways and they, they think, you know, I have cancer. I'm going to heal it with carrot juice. Yeah. Well, in your case, your cancer, the type of cancer you have, now I'm not an oncologist, but, you know, just from doing shifts or cancer shifts in school, you know, that, you know, many times that actually the chemotherapy, chemotherapy might be the best option for that person. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they're going to tolerate it. They're going to heal and they're going to live another 40 years versus somebody else might not, and they might need a different route, but we don't know who holds what ticket. Right. And so you kind of have to, you know, not say, uh, there are also people that say, you know, my aunt is so negative. She gave it to herself. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. yes, of course there is truth to that. We know there's truth to that, but also now that person has a physical condition. And so you're going to have to work with everything you have. You're going to have to work with it physically. What do you have available to you in the physical world? Pharmaceuticals, herbs, acupuncture, homeopathy, whatever that is, energy medicine, you name it. I tell my patients, use all of it. 
if you can. I mean, your best bet, you don't know what, what ticket you're holding. Are you holding the pharmaceutical ticket or are you holding the spiritual ticket or you're holding the carrot juice ticket? We don't know. Yeah. So you're going to have to, to, you know, incorporate all of it. That's your best shot. Yeah. So, you know, don't get too stuck up on, on thinking that also that, you know, you gave it to yourself. Even if they did, you have to remember that you came into your life with certain DNA and babies are born with tumors. There are children that have cancer, you know, at age one or two, they didn't give it to themselves. They have right. wonderful parents. They incarnated with that tumor for whatever reason. And also we know from ancestral healing that we inherit trauma, traumatic events from our ancestors on the DNA. And we now know exact genes, like the FKBP5 gene is one of them, that we inherit trauma. So if your grandfather served in the war and he thought he was going to die when he heard the sirens go off, guess what? Now he survives the war and his grandchild, his granddaughter has panic attacks every time she hears the siren, though she never had a traumatic experience in her own life. Yeah. And that comes comes from the grandfather's DNA. So you got to, you know, so we, we are so far, uh, you know, it'll be another hundred years, I'm sure, until we really understand the impact or how to heal somebody, somebody, because right now, Western medicine is very, um, not very good at chronic diseases. Western medicine is very good at emergency medicine. You're in a car accident, you have a, car, a heart attack, go to the ER, right? But chronic conditions, we're not very good at because I think chronic conditions are more, um, they're ingrained in the body. It takes more healing, more spiritual healing, energy healing, and working with what you have available as well in the physical yeah. world. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad we got to that because I think that is a really, really important point because we are such, we, we, we tend to just swing back and forth to extremes in our society, right? So we've got Western medicine, we've said, put away spirituality. Mm -hmm. Now we've got some people that are so new age that they're like, I'm never even going to take an aspirin because it's not natural. I'm not putting that in my mm -hmm. body. And I, I love what you just said. It's, 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 it's not either, or it's both mm -hmm. and figure out what's the best tool for, and, and what you've done is you've expanded your toolkit. You've said, I'm going to do both. And that's, it sounds like that's your mission. That's why you're here. Yep. <laughs> yep. Trying well, to heal people. It's been really great having you here today, getting to know you. Do you have any last messages before we sign off? Uh, I would say it's the message that is the, at the end of my book. And that is that uh, we're all connected. We are all one. And everything is divine. And so are you. Great way to end. Lottie, you enjoy the rest of your day. It was great to meet you. Yeah, thanks you. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and Grief to Growth, 
visit www.grief2growth.com. Hey there, if you liked this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.